you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13, couldn't help but thinking the words we just sang, he is our daily bread and the, his very words spoken to me. As we open God's word, let us never forget these are his very words spoken to us. This isn't just a textbook, a history book, this is God's word, God breathed. Follow along. I'd like to read the chapter. We'll pray and see what God has for us. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. He went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and Perizzite were dwelling also in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zor. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, and southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and there... He built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, these are your words spoken to our hearts. Protect us this morning, God, from doing two things. One, forgetting these are your words. And two, looking at Genesis 13 as if it's just some ancient book, not relevant to our lives today. Holy Spirit, we're dependent upon you to do that. Please open our hearts. Please help us to see ourselves in this text so we can learn what you want us to learn. By the power of your spirit and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It strikes me as we dig into this text and others, it's true we see ancient history, we see geography, a cultural context of Canaan, but with characters not much different than you and me. 
I mean, think about it. We might wear different clothes and speak a different language and live in different surroundings, but at foundational level, human beings don't really change. You see, these men and women we read about, they wanted the same things you and I do, close family ties. They wanted good health. They wanted financial security. They wanted fulfilling relationships. They wanted physical safety and comfortable surroundings. And like us, they longed to be part of something more meaningful and have an impact in their world in a positive way. They experienced many of our hopes and our dreams, our worries and our ambitions, our jealousies and our joys and sorrows that we feel. I think that's one of many reasons God preserved these stories over all these years so you and I could learn from them. Now, by way of an update, Abram, we've learned, have already learned that a relationship with God is a journey. It's a journey of faith. And it begins with a simple acknowledgement that he exists and that he loves us passionately. And that he has a plan for everybody in here. That plan and great blessing, that's what he desires for you. He wants a close and enjoy a close relationship with us. We also learn that faith isn't merely believing that an all-powerful, all-knowing God exists. But faith is trusting in God as we experience life. Furthermore, we've discovered that faith begins tentatively and certainly imperfectly, and that God will use our experiences, divine tests, to help us grow in faith. Tests are meant to build our faith. Abram faltered, remember, during his first test. We talked about that last week. He reverted to this kind of default coping mechanism called deception instead of trusting God. But sometime later here, we faced a different crisis, a different test. One we might not consider it a test, but really is. It's the test of prosperity. Fortunately, this test revealed that he'd learned some things. This text is really a crisis, a story about two guys. There was a story about two guys yesterday in a golf course. There was me and there was Adam Sarp. Adam can golf, me not so much. But I will say this, I used the real estate. Huh? I got my money's worth. Uh, Adam was boring. Boom, right at the green, drop it in the hole, and he moved on. But no, I used the course. It was the tale of two guys. And uh, one went one way, <laughs> and one decided to go right at the green. And uh, this is a tale of two guys. That's where the zoom lens comes. But man, there's so many lessons here. And first, let's look at the crisis. Now remember the wealth Abram had, some of it, if not a lot of it, came from Pharaoh. And that deception we read about, and, and God somehow in his graciousness allowed Abram to keep those resources. And he was a man of great wealth, a man of prosperity. And we see in this text Abram's backtracking from Egypt. He goes back to where he'd gotten it right before. He went back to where he worshipped before. He'd learned his lesson, and he came back probably head hung, going back, and he says, I, I got to get this right. I need to go back to where it was all right. And he went and he worshiped, but he came back a very prosperous person. And I'm convinced many can rise up and meet adversity. However, true character comes when all goes well, when the bank account's fuller, when 
the bills seemingly are all paid and we're caught up and things are going well. We can become arrogant. We can become self-sustaining. We can become conceited and greedy and even condescending at times. But Abram returns to Canaan with great wealth, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, so great was the wealth that the Hebrew word used in verse 2 for very rich means heavy. We would say he was loaded. (laughs) Abram was loaded. I mean, he had buku bucks, and he comes back. God had blessed him graciously. So how is Abram going to hold up under this weight of prosperity? Now up to this point, we haven't heard much about Lot. We know a couple things. One, his dad had died. And we know that when God commanded Abram to leave his culture, to leave his homeland, he was to leave his family and all his relatives, and Lot was a relative, Lot shouldn't be with Abram right now, but he brought Lot. And we learned about the dangers of disobedience because Lot's going to create a headache here and in other places. And so Lot's with Abram. Also, we should learn that verse 2 says Abram was very rich. Verse 5 says, now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. I wonder where Lot got those flocks and herds. Got them from Uncle Abram. Now, that comes to play out in a very unique way in this story. Now, when Abram prospered, Lot benefited as well. And this prosperity brought challenge. It always does. These expanding flocks and herds, they required increasing amounts of food and water. And the land may not have fully required from the famine yet, so available resources could not really sustain both men's livestock. Now I want you to pay attention to a word you'll see in verse 5. Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents. Now pay attention, we're going we're gonna to revisit that those tents, they play a key part in the story. And besides the pressure on having all their herds and everything find grazing and, and, and having the land sustain them, there are also Canaanites and Perizzites hanging around. We're not sure all that they play, but the scriptures say they were there. Could be that some of their flocks and herds were infringing upon this. But the strife we read about is between Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen. And they're watching out for their owners. They look around the land and say, there's not a lot here. Could you move over? We got to take care of our livestock. And the other side said, no, you move over. We got to take care of ours. And you can almost hear the bickering. Who are you, Lot? You're his nephew. You shouldn't even be here. You should be grateful. And then Lot's herdsmen saying, yeah, but he gave us this. And you can just see the conflict boiling as they fought over who should have more of the land and who should probably have the better land. All these elements are here for a conflict. And i got to believe as I think about Lot, there's a sense of entitlement. I mean, all that Lot had, he came from Uncle Abram. It's almost like the sense of uh, Lot said, you know, I, I, I deserve more land. Um, I, I, I should get more for these flocks and herds that I have that, by the way, Lot, you got from uncle. He seems to forget that. He's, a sense of entitlement has begun to creep, creep in. Now, before we move on, that certainly is relevant, isn't it? We certainly live in an entitled culture. 
growing up in Christmas, we might have kids who, who you get them four presents, but they're going to remind you of the one you didn't get. Hey, I asked for a basketball. Of course, that's what kids should ask for. Um, and, and, and I asked for this, and it's like the sense, who do you think you are that you would deserve that? Or if you're like me, you're at the parade going by, and, and somebody throws candy bars that's got nuts in it. I want to throw it back at them. It's not the kind of candy bar I want. I want something else. And so we always want more. And we always want better. And we feel entitled to it. Especially in our nation, that sense of entitlement comes. You should be giving me stuff. You should be taking care of me. That type of idea. And I think that's probably crept into Lot's psyche here a little bit. As this strife breaks out. Now, all that Lot had gotten from Abram, if I was Abram, and it's a good thing I'm not, because this would be a really different story. I, I, could, I would think I would look at Lot and say, listen, young man, Mr. Wet Behind the Ears, that stuff you got, that just didn't come out of thin air, Lot. I gave that to you. So close your yap and be thankful for what you got and go in the corner with your livestock and see how you do. I hate to say it would probably be me. But Abram doesn't do that. And I'm impressed by Abram. You should too. He chose his words carefully here, which is always a challenge, is it not? He acknowledges the building tension that's taking place, and he seeks a peaceful solution while affirming his love. Look at this. We see the strife in verse 7. Verse 8, Abram says to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me. He starts there. It's not just between the herdsmen. Lot, this is between me and you. I affirm our relationship. This conflict is going to get in the way of me and you. And so he chooses his words carefully. He acknowledges this tension, and he seeks this peaceful solution because, after all, blessed are the peacemakers. And Abram chooses that route. Abram first affirmed their relationship, and he expresses this desire to preserve harmony between them. And instead of pulling rank, which he could have, I am God's anointed lot. He chose me. He gave me this land. I'm your uncle. You're only here because of me. Be quiet. He could have. He didn't. He sought to mentor. He sought to disciple. He sought to teach him. And what a lesson Lot heard, but did he learn it? And we're going to see that as we go on here. And so he prepared. He proposes a solution, Abram does, that puts Lot in control of his own fate. This is a really unselfish act on account of Abram. In giving Lot the first choice of land, Abram trusts God to provide for him. He trusts that God will take care of him regardless of what land he gets. You see, he'd learned the lesson from the previous test. He didn't need to enter deception. He didn't need to manipulate it. He just needed to trust God. And he learned the lesson well. He learned from the previous tests. How about you? Have you learned from your previous tests that God will take care of you? Have you learned them? I'm convinced that when we don't learn them, God just needs to keep testing us, just like in school, until you learn it. And I wonder if many tests we've endured in life, we didn't need to. But we were slow to learn, and God just said, hey, I'm sending you some more because you need to learn this lesson. And I hope you and I are learning along with Abram. 
the value of trusting God. Now, in human standards, what Abram did makes no sense. No sense. Why give him the best? Why would Abram choose to handle it this way? I try to put myself in Abram's shoes and go, why this choice? There could have been another choice. Maybe Lot just needed to learn who was in charge. I mean, there's ways we could have justified other lessons Lot could have learned. But why did Abram choose to handle it this way? One, I think he just wanted to solve the problem peacefully. He didn't want anything to get in his relationship with Lot. He was willing to lose in the short run so he could have peace in the long term. In other words, he looked beyond the immediate decision to longer-term consequences of it. And ultimately, he just simply believed God would take care of him no matter what. So in a sense, he believed really what God's way was instead of what the world's way was. And he handled it that way. But I want you to see the danger in here. And at first glance, we might miss it. You see, Abram gave up his right of first choice for the sake of harmony with his nephew. But let's look what happens. So he says, Lot, you've got a choice, okay? So verse 10, Lot lifts up his eyes. He saw all the valley of the Jordan, and that it was well watered everywhere. So well watered, it was like the, land, the garden of the Lord, think Eden, and like the land of Egypt as you go to Zor. He looks, and what's pleasing to his eye is the lush valley, the water supply. I mean, this land is beautiful. It's pleasing to his eye. That should take us all the way back to Eve, who saw the fruit. And what does the text say? It was pleasing to her eye. That choice got her in trouble. This choice gets Lot in trouble. Because that's the only basis of his decision, is what was pleasing to his eye. He didn't think of long-term consequences. He didn't think of, you know what, Uncle Abram, you've given me so much. I mean, I don't, I don't deserve what I have, much less choosing. Please, you choose because I, I don't deserve any of this. I mean, that's what you would hope to read, but we don't. And his selection of the most fertile territory reveals his true character. He chose greed over gratitude. Should have been grateful, but he wanted more and he wanted the best. He chose wealth over family, and he chose to trust himself over God. Our, our society encourages greed. We who have less usually envy those who have more. To make matters even more confusing, envy makes us believe that we're perpetually in the poor category. My observations throughout life have led and are leading me to believe even more the best cure for greed is generosity. Because it forces us out of our comfort zone it prompts us to see the needs of others, encourages us to rely on God's provision, which is the way we should live. But in Lot's mind, he saw the best. But that's not the only danger here. Verse 10 also gives us the commentary note by the author that this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So you can bet those who read this manuscript originally had already known what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Thus the footnote. And so they could put it in a context of this happened before. Now that's important. Because the original audience, again, would read this story in this context, which would magnify, and we have it for us, magnify the choices Lot made and the danger he put himself into. And so as 
we look at this account, it foreshadows great trouble for Lot. The point is clear. Abram's faith proved to be better, a lot better long-term decision. Lot's greed would cost him nearly everything because his, his decision was short-sighted. Look at verse 12 through 13. Let's learn more here. So Lot, verse 11, Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, Lot, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. That's a significant statement. His tents indicate his family, in a sense, where they lived. You could say he moved his houses there. And he moved them right up to Sodom. Now, there's a map that's going to go on. I really want, it, it's really helpful to learn from this map, the lap. You see the two circles, they indicate the pastures. Lots is on the bottom. That's Sodom. You see Sodom is the star. And northeast of that is Abram's pastures, northwest, I'm sorry. And Hebram, you see the star there. So Lot goes down to Sodom. There's a lot of room down there in his pastures. He didn't need to go right, at, right up next to Sodom. He didn't need to go there. He could have went anywhere. And we know that back then they knew about Sodom and Gomorrah. They knew it was a wicked city. Lot knew it was a wicked city. There's a reason Ab- Abram hadn't gone that far. There's a reason he stayed back towards Hebron, even though the land was plusher. There's a reason Abram didn't go there. And so Lot's choice here is not just I want what's pleasing to my eye and I want more and more and more. He's going to set his tents, his home, right next to Sodom, this wicked city. That's a dangerous choice he makes. Why? i got to believe it's because he knew if I can get near that city, I'm going to make money. I'll sell my livestock there. I'm going to do quite well there. Plus, it's a city. There's stuff happening there. Well, we have access to all kinds of options getting near the city. There's one problem with that city. It was a very wicked city. What a dangerous choice. Lot knew what type of people lived there, and he moves his tents right by it where he didn't have to. He had all kinds of other options, and he didn't need to set up right next to Sodom. Now, he pays a terrible price for this. It's a very short-sighted decision because his focus is solely on himself, material and financial gain. His wife suffers we're going to see that in the chapters ahead. His daughters experience great perversion that they chose based upon the influence in Sodom. And two poor decisions emerge out of here, among others. One, he was short-sighted in choosing only what was pleasing in his sight. It was about pleasing him. That's what he wanted. And two, he moved right next to a wicked people, thus exposing his family. Because he wasn't thinking about his family. He was thinking about Lot. Now verse 14 through 17, God assures Abram, I love this, that in giving up his claim and choosing to trust God, that Abraham wasn't really sacrificing anything in the long run. God was going to bless him. He takes him on a tour, <laughs> window shopping. He says, see all this? Look at it. It's all going to be yours, Abram. He chose wisely. Don't worry. He did the right thing. I think that's, that reassurance was needed. Don't we all? I mean, put yourself in this, this context, okay? 
You choose a lower paying job. You choose it. Maybe you choose a job that's lower rank. You were once a supervisor. Now you're like, you know what, I think this is what God wants. And you choose something less. And you believe that what God wants, but there's that time and you're like, did I make the right choice? Because everybody around you would do just the opposite. And wouldn't you need reassurance? I would. Did I do the right thing? God, is this really what you wanted me to do? And I got to believe Abram's no different than you and me. And God reassures him that his plan is being carried out, that God's going to continually bless him, and that his trust is noticed by God. And so Abram moves to Hebron where he spent much of his remaining life. And Abram put his heart on this location by once again building an altar, another stone monument to memorialize his faith in God and God's provision and protection for him. I want so very much to learn from this text. And I think there's incredible guidelines for you and I in our decision making. The application of scriptures are the utmost importance, and this text offers a wealth of information. But applications needed to gain wisdom in daily living. Knowledge without application is just knowledge. Knowledge with application is how we get wisdom. Applications are the utmost importance. And so use these applications. Abram and, his lot, Abram and Lot represent two different perspectives on making important life decisions. For one, Lot, he left God out of the equation. He made calculations based upon potential influences, nature, and humanity. Lot failed to consider potential danger represented by settling among cities that occupied the valley. You see, there were, again, there was a reason Abram had not camped there. And Lot never asked God for guidance. Never once. We don't read it. Consequently, with greed as his guide, he placed himself, he placed his family, and he placed his future in jeopardy. And I don't know, I can't imagine why anyone would want to ignore the vertical dynamic in their decision making. It's like trying to navigate without a map. Limited by what you can see, limited by what we can hear in our immediate area. God doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to live with an ear to heaven and seeking his will. Now I need to up front say these applications assume you have a relationship with God. These applications assume that you really want God to lead you. And that you believe he will. Do you believe that? Do you believe God really wants to lead and guide you? If not, you're on your own. Like Lot. And then these applications won't mean a lot. However, if you desire God's guidance in your life, if you desire to obey and follow him, then I invite you to consider these applications. Number one, always look beyond the immediate future. Always look beyond the immediate future. Outward appearances seemed like Lot got the best deal. On outward appearances, it looks like Lot won the deal. He won the lottery. That's what it looks like. Get it? Lottery. Okay. It looks like it from all appearances. But always look beyond the immediate future. Always look beyond the immediate positive benefits of a decision. The positive is usually obvious and it can be grasped immediately. But we live in a culture driven by a desire for instant gratification. The internet, instant access. You can go shopping on Amazon, sitting on a tractor. 
and you can get it delivered within a couple days. Instantly. It's the culture we live in. Instant gratification. How many of us live, teach, delayed gratification of waiting or putting it off? We all need to think about long-term consequences because we often don't. Our preoccupation with instant satisfaction can be deadly. We need to ask, what are the drawbacks? What will happen if I wait on this decision? We need to look beyond the immediate future. Unfortunately, I got way too many examples from my life, (laughs) unfortunately. Here's one of them. We were car shopping one time, and uh, our car had died. Isn't that fun? And uh, we needed to to find a car, and so we're looking at all these dealerships and everything, and and Cindy knows where I'm going on all these these stories. She she squirms. But uh, uh, my dad, when I grew up, he was a general manager of a Cadillac dealership, and so every year we got a new Cadillac. And uh, the only drawback about that is they had an eight-track player, and so I constantly had to listen to Eddie Arnold. And the cattle can only call so many times, if you know what I mean, because over and over and over. That's the only drawback. Those Cadillacs were nice. And I thought, you know, that'd be great. Just own a Cadillac once. So I find one, and it's, it's in our price range. Looks good, mileage is good, drives good. Like, it's a no-brainer. And uh, I think Cindy probably bit her tongue, and uh, I got the Cadillac. And it was great driving home. It wasn't long after that. It wasn't great to drive. Uh, There's all kinds of problems with the engine, and ultimately had to put it, put it to rest. Our mechanic who looked at it said, I wish you would have called me. This was a year they tinkered with the engine. They put a couple things, they tried some stuff, and they've had all kinds of problems. Oh, man, now's the time to figure it out. And, uh, but what did I do? I jumped at something, and I didn't think long-term by checking it out. I just thought, oh, this would be great to have this now. And didn't think about the long-term consequences. In silence and patience of waiting, you and I need to ask God to show us his way. And when he does, go there. But think first. Think. Always look beyond the immediate benefits. And number two, Never forget the impact of negative consequences. In other words, take a few moments to reflect upon your recent decisions right now. If you're honest with yourself, many times the positive benefits were not as good as you expected, but the negative benefits were worse than you expected. That happens a lot. Never forget the impact of negative consequences. Lot saw how green the valley was. He saw how much water flowed into it, how good it would be for his livestock, He mentally counted all the resources he'd gained, the money he could make by selling to a nearby city called Sodom, never considering the impact of that decision on his family. He chose to move near Sodom, and there were great negative consequences, and he never thought of the impact. We need to think of the impact of consequences, especially negative ones. A wise mentor mentor once said to me, Matt, whenever you say yes to something outside your home, you're saying five no's to those inside your home. It's always stuck with me. I never thought of decision-making as being no to something else as it was to yes. But his, that's good counsel, by the way. His point was, Matt, there's consequences when you make choices. Make sure of your yeses. 
or else the negative consequences can start to take their toll. And so I appreciated that. I try to remember that often. Don't underestimate negative consequences of not considering your decisions. Number three, this is a good one. Seek to avoid pleasing only yourself. When you make a decision, seek to avoid it being just about you. Simply put, Lot chose himself over Abram, over his family. In a decision you have may seem right now like it could lead to more happiness, more success, but I want to caution you. Many decisions I've regretted I've made focused on what benefited me. The self-focused decisions seem to result in more pain than pleasure. Maybe you've learned that lesson like me. And when we do that, when we seek to please only ourselves, we don't seek Christ. We don't seek his mission for our lives. We don't seek to bless others. As you make decisions, seek to avoid pleasing only yourself. Matter of fact, it might be wise to put you number three in line after God and your family, your friends. Number four, remember that with greater freedom comes a need for greater personal discipline. Remember that with greater freedom comes need for greater personal discipline. You might have all kinds of options available to you. You could get better. You could get best. God's positioned you to do all that. He's given you great freedom. Make sure with that freedom you exercise discipline in that. If, you're, if the decision's likely to compromise your walk with God, it's a bad decision. Exercise discipline. The discipline of time with God. Listening to him, reading his word. Time investing in that relationship so you can hear him clearly. And if you're like, I'm not really sure how to do that, pick up a newsletter in the foyer. And I've written an article about how to do that and how to enhance your time with God. And so take advantage of that. But with greater freedom, we need greater personal discipline. Consider the pros and cons of decisions and what it would look like in your walk with God. Would it help it? Would it hinder it? Would it bless others? Would it impact the kingdom of God? Think in those terms. And then exercise greater freedom so you can walk in that way. It appears to me you and I can leave today. Each of us have a choice. We can leave these truths, these applications from Genesis 13 right here. You don't need to take these applications out the door. You can leave them here but you do at great peril. These are God's words. They're not mine. And God cares too much for you and for me and his people. So much so, he left this story about Abram and Lot for you. Right where you're at, right in your situation. God wants you to consider Abram and consider Lot and consider where you are in your life and decisions you make and how you're making them, and how he wants you to make them. So keep these principles before you as you go about your decision-making. And remember Lot, because loss awaits you, awaits me when we make careless decisions. Let's pray. Lord, I really believe this morning as we come before you and we open your word that while conviction surely probably comes in all of our lives, I believe you really want us to grab hold of these principles of yours. 
You've given them to us, God, to protect us. Protect us from poor decisions. Decisions that would have really negative consequences in our life. But Lord, not only have you given these principles to protect us, you've given them to provide for us. To provide peace of knowing we're walking in your way. To provide great blessing and reassurance, just like you offered to Abram. You offer blessing and reassurance to us. And you want to provide that for all of us, God. So Lord, I'm, I'm praying for myself and each of your people here that we'd seek you, that we'd apply these principles to our lives so that your kingdom is impacted and further. You are pleased as our king. And Lord, we could walk in your ways and not experience the hurt and pain and brokenness of going our own. We want to thank you for Genesis 13. We want to thank you for what it is teaching us and what it will continue to. Might not a person here leave it behind. But might we walk, keeping in step with your spirit, carrying out these principles as we live our life. For the sake of your kingdom and the glory of your name, we pray. Amen.